Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. I want to begin this evening by uh, reminding you of what we have seen so far in Titus. It's been a very good uh, series of sermons. I've been really enjoying this. Um, Preaching with Blake has been a pleasure. And um, I want to remind you of what we've seen so far. Paul is writing to Titus. Uh, Titus is in Crete. Uh, Titus is helping to put into order the churches in Crete. Um, And he has been instructed to appoint elders These elders are to be men that have godly qualities, godly character, uh, and sound doctrine. Uh, And in contrast to these elders, there are false teachers among the churches in Crete uh, that Blake uh, preached last week, or not last week, last month. Um, I forget that we are going on a monthly basis with this series, so it's one of the other reasons why I want to remind you of where we are. Last month, Blake preached about the false teachers uh, that are in Crete and how these false teachers have ungodly lives, they have ungodly character, and they have unsound doctrine. And so this is the context of where we're going to begin tonight, is immediately after Paul has instructed Titus about how to deal with these false teachers, uh, who he says in the text are unfit for any good work. Uh, So continuing on in the text, we read this. But as for you, he's speaking to Titus, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. And it's interesting, before we continue, to note in the text that Paul does not tell Titus to teach what accords with sound doctrine and then go into a long theological diatribe. He doesn't go on to present uh, theology and doctrine. He goes on to discuss character and how to live. Uh, So what is it that accords with sound doctrine? Godly living, godly living. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight as we, as we look in this text. So let's continue. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, in sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior." As some of you may know, uh, I had the privilege to stay with my grandfather, uh, who was the pastor of Leewood Baptist Church for a number of years. Um, and I do not remember his preaching. I was too young to be able to sit under his ministry at Leewood, so I was not personally 
trained by my grandfather in order to evaluate the soundness of his doctrine. Uh, But I got to see the preaching of his life on a daily basis uh, for a number of years. I got to watch him as he loved my grandmother and served her uh, after she passed away. And I got to spend time with him, taking care of him. I got to watch him as he read his Bible and prayed. Uh, I got to receive encouragement from him uh, as he encouraged me to love my future wife um, and to read my Bible, to pursue the ministry and encourage me in that. And even though I did not get to sit under his preaching, uh, I know that my grandfather, he had a very godly life, a very godly character, and that testified to his doctrine. And that is exactly what is going on in this book in Titus. Uh, Paul is making a direct connection between a person's doctrine and their life, their character. Uh, the, el- the elders of the church were to be men of godly character and sound doctrine. Uh, the false teachers were men of ungodly character and false doctrine. Um, and here in this text, Paul is telling Titus to instruct the church as a whole to pursue godly living. And so this is something that is important for the church. And there are a number of groups that are identified here in the text uh, that Paul gives Titus specific instructions for and that we're going to look at. Uh, so let's look at some of these practical instructions that, is, that are given to these various groups. And we'll begin with the instructions for older men in verse two. Here in verse two, we read this. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So the, the first character trait that we're given for these older men is to be sober-minded. Uh, being sober-minded carries a connotation uh, that harkens back to the qualifications for elders, uh, as well as what Paul noticed about the false teachers in Crete, who were given to speculations, who were distracted by many different things, uh, who were not grounded and were not uh, consistently thinking about uh, God's word. So being sober-minded uh, means not to be given to these wild sorts of speculations. Uh, it, it carries a connotation also of being temperate or moderate um, and not being carried away by things. The older men are also commanded to be dignified and self-controlled. Uh, being dignified also carries a connotation of having a sense of somberness about oneself. Um, it doesn't mean that there is no place for humor uh, in a person's life if they're dignified, uh, but it does mean that they will not make light of serious things. They know when to be serious. Uh, there's an appropriate time for these things. Uh, and a person who is dignified has a proper sense of that. Uh, and likewise, someone who is self-controlled is someone who is able to resist the temptations of pleasure and uh, of similar things. So these men are to be dignified, they're to be sober-minded, they're to be self-controlled, but they're also to be sound in faith and love and steadfastness. I just want to make a comment about what this word sound means. Uh, the Greek word that is translated into English as sound has to do with health and hygiene. Um, it really means healthy. So when we talk about sound doctrine, we're talking about healthy doctrine. Uh, we're talking about hygienic doctrine. Uh, 
theology that is good for you. Um, and, and when we're talking about sound faith and sound love and sound steadfastness, we're talking about healthy faith, a healthy love uh, and a healthy steadfastness. So a, so a person who has healthy faith and love and steadfastness is a person who trusts in God, who has faith in God and in his word. It's a person who has a genuine love for other people that is, that is more than just a like for someone, but is a demonstrated love that comes out in service to others. Uh, it's a love that is similar to the love that Christ showed in his earthly ministry uh, when he showed love that was not uh, conditioned but was given to everyone. And so it's to have a genuine love for others and also to have sound steadfastness um, is to be committed for the long haul, not fickle and unsure and ready to give up at the, uh, at the slightest opposition, but to be uh, secure and to be committed and to have endurance, to run the race with endurance. So these men are to be sound in faith and love and in steadfastness, or you could say endurance, to have that sense of dedication. I also think it's important to notice here that there's a difference between the older men here in verse two in chapter two and the elders that we saw a few months ago when we looked at the qualifications for elders. Uh, If you'll remember, we talked about the fact that the elders uh, who are mentioned in chapter one, who are also called overseers, those terms are synonymous, or they're used interchangeably in the New Testament. Um, These men had had particular qualifications that they needed to meet, uh, and they had to be appointed to this role of elder or overseer. Uh, The people that we're looking at here in chapter two uh, are not the same. The older men in chapter two are not the same as the elders in chapter one. The reason I say that is because some people, when they approach scripture and they see what the New Testament has to say about overseers and elders, they'll try to say that, well, that's just older men. When the Bible talks about elders, it's only talking about older men. It's not talking about a particular office in the church. Uh, But I want you to see that that's not the case. Um, As I said, the elders in chapter one had qualifications that needed to be met and they had to be appointed to the office of elder. You don't need permission to get old. Uh, You don't need permission to age. Um, And so this is not talking about just the older men of the church uh, when it's talking about the elders of the church in in, in that first chapter and elsewhere in scripture. Um, But here in chapter two, in verse two, uh, this is discussing older men in general. All of the older men of the church uh, are to be held to these standards. Um, again, being sober-minded, being dignified, self-controlled, and sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. These are things that you don't need permission to do. Um, you need uh, just to be an older, per- an older man in the church, and these qualities should be expected of you. So we're also going to look at what the uh, passage here has to say to the older women of the church. In verse three, in the beginning of verse four, we read this. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. So Paul gives an instruction to Titus uh, to expect these older women to have certain character qualities Uh, and also to carry out a certain mission in the church. Um, You'll notice that he says that they are to be reverent. Um, Clearly, an irreverent 
attitude is not fitting for a Christian woman. Paul also points out specifically the idea of refraining from slander, from being a slanderer. And this is a particularly important thing that I want to point out to you. Um, Intentionally smearing someone's name and reputation and lying about them in order to denigrate them is not Christ-like behavior. Slander is, in fact, satanic behavior. Um, When you look elsewhere in the New Testament, um, this word that has been translated as slander, the Greek word that's been translated as slander in this passage, uh, is elsewhere used to describe Satan as the accuser. Uh, And Satan, who is the accuser, is the father of lies. And so when you join in with Satan to lie about people and slander their character and their reputation, uh, you are doing something that is not just unchristlike, but is in fact the opposite of Christ-like. It is joining in with Satan uh, in his evil work. Uh, so I encourage you, not just the older women among you, but I encourage all of you uh, to refrain from slander. It's, a, it's not something that you want to do. Uh, and that actually brings up a good point uh, that I'll, I'll go ahead and, and deal with here. Uh, and that, that is this question. Why is it that Paul gives different instructions to different groups? Uh, why not just give one list for the entire church to follow? Why is it that older men have different uh, responsibilities or um, expectations than older women and some of those different things like that? Um, well, it could be the case that Paul has had certain experiences that have, have led him to believe that there are particular things that are important to stress for particular groups. Uh, and so it might be the case that Paul, Paul's experience has informed him that older men might be more prone to a lack of self-control or to a lack of sober-mindedness or that older women are more prone to fall into slander and, or, or to be given too much wine, some of those sorts of things. Clearly, these things are all things that we all should strive for. Um, and so it's, it's good for us to, to think about these things in that way. Uh, but the Holy Spirit did see fit to inspire Paul to write these instructions to these various groups. Uh, and so it, it's definitely good for us to read those and to think about how they apply to us and what group that we are in, uh, because these things are applicable to us even today. Uh, so I wanted to just mention that uh, before, we, before we keep going, that it's, there's a reason why there are differences in these lists. It's not that um, all of us should not be expected to refrain from slander, uh, but there may be a particular reason why Paul included that in the text, specifically for older women. So um, another thing here for the older women that is mentioned is that they are not to be slaves to much wine. Uh, clearly, this, this is a reference to drunkenness. It's a reference to consuming a level of alcohol that is intoxicating. It limits your ability to function well. Um, and it is also uh, a givenness to wine that reaches the level of an addiction, to be a slave to wine. Um, and so this is definitely not something that is fitting for an older woman of the church. Um, and as I said, this isn't, it's not, it's not as though this is only for older women. Um, the Bible prohibits drunkenness for all Christians. Uh, and so this is definitely something that we should all be, be wary of. Um, and also, the older women are commanded to teach the younger women. This is something here that is not only a character trait, not just a mark of godly character, but is a mission. It's something that uh, Paul is instructing Titus to commission the older women to do, and that is to instruct younger women. He says that 
Uh, they are to teach what is good and so train the young women. Uh, and also want to want to point out here that there is not a distinction that makes this apply to a certain group of older women. Um, it's it's not as though Titus is to have some of the older women refrain from slander and some of the older women. Uh, refrain from being addicted to alcohol, and then some of the older women to teach the younger women. It's that all of the older women of the church should be expected to do these things. Uh, All of the older women should refrain from drunkenness. All of the older women should refrain from slander, and all of the older women should be active in the instruction of the young women in the church. Uh, This is a command from God, and it's an important one. And uh, just, just because Paul mentions this, to the older women here in Titus and doesn't specifically mention it in the passage to the older men doesn't mean that the men are off the hook. Uh, There is a biblical theme of the older imparting wisdom to the younger. Job 12.12 says that wisdom is with the aged in understanding and length of days. Uh, And clearly, when you read through uh, the Old Testament and even the New Testament, um, there is an expectation that godly men will train younger men and, and that godly women will train younger women. There is a biblical uh, precedent for this instruction of the young. Um, and so it's something that we should be thinking about. I would, I would love to see the kinds of relationships here in Lucy among our body that I was able to have with my grandfather. Um, and I would love to see these kinds of relationships happen not only with family members uh, here in the church, but with brothers and sisters in Christ Uh, We need each other. The younger people in this congregation need to learn from the wisdom of the older people here. And and likewise, the older people in this congregation uh, need to be thinking about ways that they they can pass on the wisdom and experience that they have to the younger generations. The next category of people that we'll be looking at in the text are the younger women. These are the, the younger women are the ones who the older women are to be training. So remember that, keep that in your mind. And we'll look at what the scripture has to say about the younger women here. It's in chapter two, verse four, the second part of verse four through verse five. And this is what it says. The older women are to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So uh, Paul not only gives some qualifications here or some, some instructions here for younger women to try to strive for, but he also gives a purpose statement. Uh, it's so that the word of God may not be reviled. Uh, and really, I think that, that this is something that all of us could think of. Um, the reason why we are to try to meet these standards or the reasons why we're, tr- we're to try to follow these instructions is so that the word of God may not be reviled. It harkens back to what Paul was concerned about with the qualifications of the elders in the first chapter, uh, that they are to be above reproach. Um, if the elders are not above reproach uh, and they fall or they, they sin in some public way, that brings shame on the church, that brings dishonor on the name of Christ. And so if, if the people of the church uh, do not live godly lives, they do not have godly character, uh, it brings shame on the church. It brings shame on the word of God. As it says here, uh, it's so that the word of God may not be reviled. Uh, so this is an important thing. Uh, 
So why would it be important for young women to love their families and to submit to their husbands? Why is that important? Uh, Well, think about it this way. What if Christian wives hated their families and constantly sought to domineer over their husbands? Would that present a godly picture to the world? Uh, I submit to you that the answer is no. Uh, Jesus explicitly forbade domineering attitudes to his church uh, when he told uh, his disciples that they should be unlike the Gentile rulers who lorded their authority over their citizens. That's in Matthew 20, 25 through 26. And even the role of the husband as the head of the wife, uh, which is discussed in Ephesians 5 and other places, is not portrayed as a domineering or authoritarian type of headship. If you look in Ephesians 5, the responsibility of the husband, the role of the husband as head, is portrayed as that of loving, self-sacrificial service. It is not an authoritarian role. So it's also interesting to think about the fact that, you know, as it says in Ephesians 5, marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church. Uh, that's one of the reasons why it's so important that, um, that young wives and that young husbands uh, and old wives and old husbands uh, should seek to live godly lives and should seek to show this sort of love for one another uh, that the Bible commands is because they are a living picture of the gospel, that they are a living symbol of the relationship that Christ has with his church. A dysfunctional and broken marriage does not properly represent Christ's relationship to his church, to the world. Um, So young Christian wives who do not love their husbands, who do not love their children, who do not serve them, are showing a broken picture of the gospel to the world through that. So it's very important. And it's also important to realize that Paul didn't condition this love on the status of the husband and children as being believers. Uh, It doesn't say if your husband is a believer, if your children are believers, then love them uh, and serve them. It just says love them and serve them. Uh, And we see this elsewhere in, in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2, it says this. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Uh, Next, in this text here, um, Paul discusses the need for young women to pursue self-control and purity. Um, These women are not to be a wild and unrestrained and seeking whatever pleasure they might find. Um, they are to have self-control. They are to seek purity. Uh, and I just want to say that this idea of, um, of a goal for young women, of an ideal for young women to seek purity is something that our culture is honestly just committed to a, f- a full assault of this. Um, much of popular culture for young people absolutely glorifies and delights in uh, the seeking of pleasure uh, at any expense. And this is not what God intended for humanity. Uh, God intended for young men and women to pursue lifelong committed relationships with one another, monogamous marriages. Uh, The Bible clearly teaches this. And in fact, the statistics actually bear this out, that it's better for us Uh, to seek this biblical standard of lifelong marriage with one man and one woman. Uh, It's better for the people who engage in those marriages. 
and it's better for the children uh, who have those types of families and they're able to be raised by their mother and father. Uh, I don't have time to, to get into all of those statistics, but if you look up those things, you'll see that the biblical standard really is best for us. Uh, it not only is a proper representation of him uh, and of Christ's relationship to the church, but it's what's best for us. Paul also commends the younger women to be working at home and to be kind. Uh, I think being kind is fairly straightforward. Uh, it doesn't make very much sense that people who are representatives of Christ should be ugly and mean. Uh, so I think that it, hopefully it's obvious to you what it means to be kind. Um, but there has been much ink spilt in dispute over what it means to be working at home. Um, there has been there have been many different interpretations of that. Uh, one, of, one of the interpretations of what this means is that women should never have any job outside of their home. Uh, but I, I believe that this is a wrong interpretation of this passage. Uh, there is nowhere in Scripture where women are prohibited from working outside of the home. And in fact, there are places in Scripture where women are commended for their work outside of the home, such as Proverbs 31. Uh, where a woman is depicted as an entrepreneur who sells her goods in the marketplace. Um, so clearly, the Bible does not uh, denigrate women from working outside of the home. It exalts that. But uh, it is clear from this passage and from many other passages uh, that women who are wives and mothers are to be committed to managing their household. They're, they're to be committed to loving their families. Uh, and this is what the Bible presents as the, uh, the focus for them, for mothers and for wives, that the family should take precedence over the career. Uh, and I think that this principle uh, could also be applied to men, that a man should also love his family more than his career. Uh, but there's a particular uh, role that women have as nurturing for their children, as, for, as loving for their husbands. Um, John Stott, in his commentary on Titus, uh, explains it like this. He says, it would not be legitimate to base on this word either a stay-at-home stereotype for all women or a prohibition of wives being also professional women. What is rather affirmed is that if a woman accepts the vocation of marriage and has a husband and children, she will love and not neglect them. And I think this is important. Um, as I said earlier about, about marriage, it's, it's what's best for us. And I think that you know, we, we continue to see this in the culture that the, the idea of the nuclear family, mom, dad, kids, um, it's, it's not as cool anymore as it used to be. It's not the standard in our culture that it used to be. Uh, divorce rates are very high, uh, but not only that, divorce isn't really looked down on as much as it used to be. Um, divorce, rather than being a last resort, is often a first option. Uh, friends will often encourage their friends to run straight to divorce rather than trying to help them to reconcile and heal their marriages first. Um, and I think this is, this is a very bad thing. Um, even homosexual relationships are being lifted up as the object of the society's praise. Uh, these are things that are being uh, lifted up in our culture. Uh, and it's true that we do live in a broken world. Uh, so there are situations where believers are going to experience broken family relationships uh, there are provisions in the New Testament for believers who are facing divorce. Uh, there is grace for that. God has grace that he gives to us that's sufficient for everything that we face. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we should denigrate uh, the marriage relationship 
as God's standard and as God's ideal for us. It is best, and we should, we should hold it up as that. So uh, another group that's mentioned here in Titus 2 are the young men. Titus 2 verse 6 says this, Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So uh, a lot of people have looked at that short little verse, and they've said, well, what's, what's Paul doing here? The young men get off the hook. He only gives them one, one thing. He's talking all these different things to all these other groups, but the young men just have to be self-controlled. What's that all about? Um, well, I have a couple things to say about that. Uh, one of them is that being self-controlled is no small task. Um, when, when Paul says that the young men are to be self-controlled in everything, um, that, is, that is a tall ask. Uh, being self-controlled means controlling one's thoughts, one's will, one's tongue, one's passions, one's actions. Uh, there are many, many things that go into controlling oneself. It means uh, having control over yourself to the point that you're not influenced by temptations and by addictions and by those sorts of things. And that's huge. That's a big deal. Uh, so we shouldn't um, see that as the young men getting off the hook. But I also think there's another indication in this text uh, that we should understand this not to be a, um, something easier for the young men than it is for everyone else. And that's this. The younger men, if God allows them to live long lives, are going to become the older men. And the younger women are going to become the older women. So the younger men in the church and the younger women in the church should have their eyes set upon the older men and the older women in the church. Um, I think, as I've said already, that they should be receiving training and education from the older. Uh, but also, uh, they're going to become older one day. And so the, the, uh, the standards that are given here for the older men and for the, and for the older women uh, should be things that, younger men and younger women are looking at and striving to meet. Um, and so that's something that we should be considering when we look at this. The young men aren't off the hook. Definitely not. Uh, another group that I believe is mentioned here in this text are church leaders. Church leaders. Paul, after he talks to the young men, he talks directly to Titus. And he says this, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Uh, so uh, Paul here is speaking directly to Titus, but I think that this can be applied to church leaders as a whole. People that are teaching in the church, uh, they have a particular responsibility uh, and there are particular um, consequences for a teacher in the church who, do, who does not follow these instructions. So let's look at what it says here. Um, Titus, first of all, was, was told to uh, be a model of good works. Um, and Paul, elsewhere in Scripture, says this. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Leaders will naturally have followers, People in the church who are leading and teaching are going to have others in the church who look to them as an example of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so those leaders, those teachers, should be conscious of that. They should be seeking to live lives that can be imitated. And so they're to be a model of good works, as Paul tells Titus to be. And also in their teaching, they're to show particular characteristics. Titus is commanded here to show integrity, 
dignity in sound speech that cannot be condemned. So what does this mean? I think that having integrity in your teaching uh, basically means that you practice what you preach. It means that you're not hypocritical. It means that you're seeking to apply and to live out the things that you're saying, the things that you're teaching. Um, in our uh, pastoral internship, Blake and I are doing with Brother David and, and Brother Hunter, um, we're reading a, a very good book on reforming pastoral ministry. Uh, and in there, uh, today even, we, we read a quote that says this. Richard Cecil, who's a friend of John Newton, wrote this about his uh, preaching and about the integrity that you have in preaching. He said this, people look at me six days a week to see what I mean on the seventh day. And I think that's a very good and illustrative quote of what it means to be a teacher, to be a preacher, that your congregation is not only looking at you when you're preaching to them on Sunday morning, they're also watching how you live throughout the week to determine uh, how you live and to see your integrity so it's very important to have integrity in your teaching that you're seeking to live out in the six days what it is that you're saying on the seventh day. Um, Paul also instructs Titus to have dignity and sound speech in his teaching. So what does this mean? What does it mean to have dignity and sound speech in your preaching and in your teaching? Have you ever seen or heard a preacher who does not show dignity in their preaching. I want you to think about that. Have you ever seen or heard a teacher who does not use sound speech in their teaching? I believe that I have. Um, I've seen preachers who have given sermons where they've literally used profanity in their sermons to try to garner attention, to make a point. Uh, I've seen sermons where pastors will perform crazy stunts or they'll bring really flashy props onto the stage in order to try to garner attention or to make you know, their, their points more evident. Um, but I think that these sorts of things do not show dignity and do not show sound speech. Uh, if you're using foul language in your sermons, then you're, you're certainly not uh, using sound speech that cannot be condemned. Um, if you're doing ridiculous stunts or, or trying to use props to get people's attention, then you're not preaching with dignity. Uh, you're um, being undignified in your preaching at that point. Uh, so I think it's very important that uh, a teacher in the church is seeking to teach with integrity and dignity and with sound speech and not with foul language. Uh, and there's a reason for this. Uh, Paul gives the purpose statement there. It's so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And again, I, I think this is just a repetition of the same idea that he's already mentioned when he was talking to the younger women, um, that the word of God may not be reviled, and, as he mentioned to the, uh, to the elders in the first chapter, to be above reproach, uh, so that uh, shame will not be brought on the church. Um, it's the reason that it's important to do these things, to have integrity, to live godly lives, is so that the opponents of the church and of the gospel will have nothing evil to say about the, us. It's not that they won't ever try, it's that there will be nothing that they could legitimately bring against us as a, as a legitimate charge. There is nothing evil in our lives that they could bring forward to display to the world and to attack us with. As I said, that does not mean that they will not try. They absolutely do, that's for sure. Uh, Jesus said that if the world hated him, that they will also hate us. And so there's certainly uh, cases that people will be saying bad things about us, uh, even slandering, inventing things. Um, but there is nothing evil that they can truly say about us. 
That is what is in view here, to be above reproach. Um, And I think it is helpful to us to understand the weightiness of teaching, uh, to see how it's so important that teachers have integrity in their teaching um, because they are representing God. They're representing uh, the church as well in their teaching, officially. And uh, in James 3.1, we read this, "'Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, "'for you know that we who teach "'will be judged with greater strictness.'" So it's a very weighty and important thing to teach. It's not something to be taken lightly, and it's not something that people should just rush into. It's something that they should take the time to train and to take the time to study uh, before they enter into that. And I just want to say that I'm very thankful that we have godly uh, teachers here at Lucy. Uh, our pastors, David and Hunter, uh, have integrity in their teaching. They, have, they show dignity and sound speech in their preaching, and I'm very thankful for that, and I think that we should be thankful for that as well. Um, the final category mentioned here in this uh, text is that of the bond servants. Uh, bond servants, this, this word, the Greek word that is translated as bond servants, could also be translated as slaves. Uh, and, and the slaves here, the bond servants, are told to be submissive to their own masters in everything, to be well pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering but showing all good faith. Um, Often, this passage uh, is taken as uh, something that can apply to believers who are employees, who have relationships with their employers. And I think that that's certainly legitimate. Uh, if If it's to be expected of slaves to be subject to their masters who are often oppressive and abusive and sorts of things like that, then how much more should we, as, as employees who have a voluntary relationship with our employers, how much more should we exhibit these characteristics to our employers? So I think that's certainly a legitimate application for this, that we should seek to do good, seek to be honorable, seek not to steal, uh, but to do well in our jobs, to show all good faith, uh, to be a trustworthy employee, to be a trustworthy worker, someone that uh, can be trusted to do what's right and not to take advantage of our employment. Um, and that's a good application. That's something that we should, we should examine. But I don't want that to distract us from the fact that Paul is here in this text talking to slaves. He's talking to people who do have an involuntary relationship in many cases with their masters. Um, and it can be awkward and intimidating to read what the New Testament has to say to slaves uh, when they're told to submit to their masters. It's something that, particularly for Americans in a post-slavery society. And the first thing I want to say about this is that slavery in the ancient world didn't look quite the same as slavery looked in the American South uh, in our history and even in the Civil War, the times of the Civil War. And I don't have the time to get into that, what all those differences are. Um, But there are some important differences, so keep that in mind. Uh, But that doesn't mean that slavery in the ancient world was okay or that it was good. Uh, but it is important to realize that there are some differences in that. And I think that there is a particularly good reason why the early church would have been concerned about slaves being submissive to their masters. And I think it's the same reason why the early church and the apostles were concerned about Christians being submissive to the Roman government, uh, which was often oppressive, which was often uh, persecuting believers. Uh, And that's so that Uh, even as we read in this text, that shame would not be brought on the gospel, that shame would not be brought to the church, uh, and that Christians could live peaceably in society. Um, These things are more important for the church than 
the freedom that comes from fighting against slavery and from fighting against oppressive governments. Um, it's the purpose here that's listed in this text is so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Notice that godly living is not only a result of sound doctrine, but it beautifies sound doctrine. It makes it beautiful. It adorns sound doctrine so that it's attractive uh, in a proper way. <clears throat> and I think it's, it's important to see here that Paul is really calling for a radical commitment to the gospel. Um, if, he's, if, he's in, you know, if he's telling the slaves here to be submissive to their masters, uh, not to fight for their freedom, um, this is a radical call. This is, this is something that is not easy to accept. It's not something that uh, is something that you can be comfortable doing. Um, in 1 Corinthians 7.21, uh, Paul does tell slaves to seek freedom if they're able to achieve it, but if they're not, to not worry about it, to continue to serve God, to, to live faithfully. And I think that this is an important thing for us to consider as Americans. It sounds so foreign to us to think this way. Um, but I think it's a good corrective to an overly individualistic and autonomous sort of attitude that we might have. Uh, we should be so dedicated to the gospel that we would give up our freedom for it. Um, I think that that's something that we should consider, that we are called as Christians to die to ourselves and to be slaves of Christ. Um, and so whether we have freedom or not as, as slaves or as uh, citizens of a government, um, we should have the attitude of a slave. I want to read to you Romans 6.22 that says that believers in Christ have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. In 1 Peter 2.16 that says, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. So indeed, we are free in Christ. We're free from sin. We're free from death. Uh, we've been liberated from many things that enslave us, but we are slaves to our heavenly master, who is Jesus. Uh, and we should cultivate that sort of mindset. So as we uh, conclude tonight, I want to just ask a question to us. Why is it that Paul is concerned with uh, these people living holy lives? Why is Paul concerned that the church be righteous, be holy, to seek these certain qualities and things like that. Why is that important? Obviously, in this text, uh, we've seen that it's so that shame will not be brought on the church. Uh, it's so that the gospel will be adorned, will be beautified, will be made attractive to the world. Um, but more fundamentally than that, through, all throughout Scripture, uh, the people of God are commanded to be holy because God is holy. Um, 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16 says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Our God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. Uh, and as his people, we are commanded to be holy like he is. Uh, but this is not something that any of us can do on our own. It's not something that can be accomplished by us. Romans 3, 10 through 11 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. This is why it's necessary uh, for us to have Christ. It's why Christ had to come and die. Um, and this is exactly what Paul goes on in Titus to talk about. After, after this list of instructions to the church, in Titus 2.11, he says this, for the reason why these things are being given to you is for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. It's because of God's grace, 
because of the gospel that we are to be living this way. As 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, that is the Father made Christ, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is what we celebrated this weekend, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. We celebrated the gospel, uh, that Christ has come uh, to give us righteousness. Christ not only saves us, but he makes us holy. Uh, So this is not something uh, that we need to depend on ourselves to do. Uh, Friends, we we could not do these things that are listed here in Titus 2, 1 through 10, uh, if we were trying to do it on our own. If, If we're reading this, and we're expecting ourselves to step up to the plate and to accomplish these things in our own power, then we're going to fail every time. Um, It is not up to us. Uh, It is Jesus who saves us. It is Jesus who makes us holy. Uh, That's also called sanctification. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He gives us his righteousness. Um, And I just want to read this this verse for you uh, in Philippians. Philippians 1.6. It's a wonderful promise, and it says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. What a promise. Let's close our eyes together. As we close, I want, I want you to think about what we've been talking about tonight. I want you to, to have a prayerful attitude. Think about your relationship to God. I want to ask you, everyone who's here tonight, have you been saved by Jesus? Is Jesus your Lord Are you a slave of God? Acts 2.38 says, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Is that you? Have you repented? Have you followed Christ in baptism? Uh, If you haven't, if you haven't repented, if you haven't become a slave of God, uh, then I call you right now to repent, to repent of your sin, to put your faith in Christ. If you have not done that, then you do not have forgiveness for your sins. If you have not done that, then you do not have access to the one who makes you holy. That's very important. I want you to think about that. Pray about that. What about you who are uh, believers here? What what have you been hearing in this text tonight that's directed to you? Are you an older man? Uh, Have you listened to what it is that the text here has to say to you, what God is speaking to you through his word? Are you an older woman, a younger woman, a younger man, a leader, a teacher in the church? Think about what it is that we've been discussing tonight. Uh, Most importantly, are you trusting in Christ to give you the strength to follow these commands? So let's go through these one more time, one at a time. And as I said, in a prayerful attitude, let's, let's think about these things and pray about them together. Older men, Are you seeking maturity? Are you seeking to strive after faith, love, and endurance? Older women, are you seeking to live reverent lives? Do you avoid slander, malicious gossip about other people? Do you avoid drunkenness and alcoholism? To the older men and women, are you actively engaged in seeking ways that you can train the younger people in the church? Younger men, are you pursuing self-control? Are you looking to the examples of godliness that mature older men in the church show to you? And younger women, are you seeking to be self-controlled and pure and kind? Are you looking to the older women for the guidance that they're commanded to give to you? 
And women who are married, are you demonstrating a Christ-like love and sacrificial service to your husbands and your children? Teachers, are you seeking to live as godly examples to those who follow you? Are you you seeking to show integrity and dignity and sound speech in your teaching? Those of you who are employees, are you faithfully serving your bosses? Are you living Christ-like lives in your employment? And for all of us, uh, if we're believers tonight, are we living in the reality of the fact that we are slaves of Christ, that he entirely owns us? Do we submit in everything to our Lord Jesus, even at the expense of our own freedom? Do we live this way? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for what it is that you have written to us through your word, your God-breathed scripture uh, that is applicable to our lives. God, I pray that you would, you would help us to understand it. I pray that you would help us to apply it to our lives. Uh, God, and I pray that you would, uh, you would make us holy as you promised in your scripture, Lord, that you would complete what you have started in us. Uh, God, and I pray that you would help us to be open to that, uh, that we would not resist that, that we would not get in the way of what it is that you're doing in our lives, Lord, but that we would submit entirely to you as our Lord. Uh, Lord, that you would give us the attitude and the disposition of being your slave, uh, Lord, and to, to love you and to serve you in that way. Lord, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.